Hi, this is Dave Hill, and this is Lucky Issue 47 of Dave Does the Comics. This is my monthly comic book review podcast recorded on... January 13th, 2013. I am not a comic book industry insider. I am not a literature or art major. But I know what I like, and this is my podcast to unpretentiously tell you what that is. Well, Happy New Year's 2013 to everyone. I got a ton of trade paperbacks for Christmas, but haven't had a chance to touch them much yet. Plus, due to being away for the holidays, I'm still catching up on the last month and change of comics. Plus, last weekend, when I planned to do this, my headphones and mic went south, so I had to replace them. Despite or because of all of that, I've got a lot to tell you about, so let's have at it. Starting with Marvel. Marvel's Marvel Now continues to roll on, and overall I think it's been a big success. I know it seems kind of crazy giving top talent key books and letting them play with the characters without worrying about universe-wide crossovers, but the trick seems to be working. Oh, that I could go back and tell DC about this a few years back. My only regret is that they've restarted all the numbering from one on these books, which just bugs the heck out of the database guy in me. So, let's start with Avengers numbers 1 through 2. From Marvel, Jonathan Hickman writing, Jerome Opeña, artwork, Wake the World. Uh, Hickman's shown in the past few years that he can write grand, convoluted occult epics, as well as deeply personal tales, and he hits the ground running with at least the former with the new Core Avengers title. On the one hand, we have the beginnings of an alien invasion by some powerful near-cosmic types. On the other hand, we have Cap and Iron Man deciding to actually expand the Avengers roster to give it some depth to handle different types of crises. It's solid fun, if not yet quite spectacular, and the introduction of a brand new, hitherto unknown cosmic menace is a bit irksome, if in keeping with the idea that Marvel now isn't going to be quite as continuity-bound as in the past. Opeña's painted style is attractive, but not great. Sometimes coming out on the printed page is a little bit muddy. Issue number two, which is already out, continues the themes from number one. I don't know if Hickman's Avengers will be the love-it-hate-it of the Bendis years, but he's off to a very good start. Four stars. I liked it a lot. Avengers Assemble, number 10, from Marvel. Kelly Sue DeConnick writing, Stefano Caselli on the art. This title isn't really an Avengers continuity, but it's definitely outside the movie continuity now, too. It's hard to care because DeConnick is having such a fun, amusing time playing with core characters here. The current story arc, something unpleasant being found in the great primordial sea beneath the Antarctic, is a hoot with enough action-adventure and witty dialogue to make Brian Bendis blush. Definitely worth picking up. Four stars. I liked it a lot. A plus X, number three, from Marvel. Jason Aaron and Pasquale Ferry on one story, James Asmus and Bill Tan on the second. A plus X carries on the short battle vignette, including an Avenger and an X-Man motif from a versus X title during the Avengers versus X-Men crossover. Only now, the pair are fighting together against another foe. Really, this is Marvel team-up short form, with different characters and different creators, and it's really a lot of fun. And it's not just about battles, but about the characters, too. At least the better installments are. This issue brings us a Storm Black Panther team-up that confronts some of their abrupt divorce during the Avengers vs. X-Men saga. The Hawkeye Gambit crossover isn't quite as good, but the Duke characters interact nicely. Yeah, it's not all that deep, but it's fun. Three stars. I like it. 
Journey into Mystery, number 647, from Marvel. Catherine Immonen, writing. Valero Schisti on the art. Stronger Than Monsters, part two of five. Shifting from the lengthy and excellent Kid Loki arc of the past few years, Immonen is focusing this Thor backup title on Sif. In this case, her decision to up her game and take on an ancient berserker power. This is not, of course, turning out well. It's an enjoyable read and better use of a greatly neglected legacy character, but it also doesn't feel like much new is happening here. Further, with Sif getting all dark and moody and violent, it's more about action than the cover character herself. It's an enjoyable read, but not as great yet as I'd hoped. Three stars. I liked it. Avenging Spider-Man, number 15.1 from Marvel. Chris Yost writing, Paco Medina on the pencils. This issue was out this past week, and this point one issue picks up after the big events of Amazing Spider-Man, number 700. And honestly, I have to confess it makes me actually want to read the new Superior Spider-Man. I won't, of course, because, well, I already read too many comics, and I really don't want to get caught up in Spidey mania. But this issue, with Doc Ock explaining his, exploring his past relationship with Spider-Man and seeing it from a completely new perspective, so to speak, was remarkably well-written. It wasn't avenging or as humorous as past installments, but I did think it amazing, even superior job. Four stars. I liked it a lot. Moving on to some trade paperback collections. Avengers Assemble, Volume 4 from Marvel. Kurt Busiek on the writing. <coughs> Ordway and Romita Jr. and Epting and Davis on the art. This volume collects the awful Maximum Security miniseries and crossover event uh, and issues 35 through 44 of the 1998 renumbering. Busick is his normal good self, getting in some good Hank Pym and Kang stories, but hampered here by a mixture of artists. Still a fun read and worth adding to your Avengers bookshelf. Three stars, I liked it. The Twelve, Volumes 1 through 2 from Marvel. Joe Straczynski writing, Chris Weston on the art. This was a 12-part maxi-series that took way too long to complete, but still makes for a great read. At the end of World War II, a team of dozen B-list superheroes, most of them just guys in masks with guns, participating in the final Allied push on Germany, get trapped in a Nazi lab, only to be awakened in the present day. How will these pulp characters deal with being figures out of their own era, with the loved or not-so-loved ones they left behind 60 years ago, each of them with their own dark pasts and secrets? And when murder among their number rears its ugly head, who will solve the mystery that might mean the end of them all? I enjoyed this series an awful lot. Straczynski gets to play vigorously and realistically with the man-out-of-time themes that have gotten old and cliched with Captain America, and does so brilliantly, helped immensely by Weston's realistic paintwork. My only regret when all is said and done is that even though these characters are intentionally made a part of the Marvel Universe, we've never heard anything about them since. Yet. Four stars. I liked it a lot. The Immortal Iron Fist, Volume 1, The Last Iron Fist Story, from Marvel, Ed Brubaker and Matt Fraction writing, David Aha on the art. Apparently, I missed this series when it was going back in 2006 and 7. Fraction has the epic down and Brubaker the gritty as we get a major expansion of the Iron Fist universe, the introduction of a whole series of past Iron Fists, previously hidden secrets from Danny Rand's past, and something that threatens the whole mystic kitten caboodle with blood and destruction. It's well-drawn and well-written, and I've got the next volumes on my wish list to see if someone got them for me for my birthday or for Christmas. Nothing yet.
X-Factor, Volume 17, The Road to Redemption from Marvel. Peter David writing, Neil Edwards and Paul Davidson on the art. This collects issues 237 through 240. And yes, that's only four issues, which is an annoying trend I'm seeing from more and more comic book companies for their trade paperbacks. But part of what drives that in this case is how the stories line up. And this volume collects a convenient set of between-arc tales, from taking a Moros and Gilritten Wolfsbane on an all-girl road trip, to Banshee facing a real Irish supernatural threat, to Layla dealing with the fact that she doesn't know how things are going to turn out anymore, but does know an array of things that might work out. All of that with plenty of soap opera and dry writ. Dry writ, wow. Or rye wit in between, and some decent artwork. Definitely worth picking up. Four stars, I liked it a lot. We're going to be talking about Peter David a little bit more further down in the podcast. Moving on to DC. Catwoman, number 15 from DC, and Nocenti writing, Rafa Sandoval on the pencils, in the zone. Catwoman, when she came out in the New 52, was an awful mess, starting with art that had her falling out of her cat suit, and writing that had her engaging in the least sexy sex scene with Batman imaginable. The book could only improve, and in fact has. Selina is still not the master thief with a heart of stolen gold from the old DC universe, but this newer, less experienced, thrill-seeker bad girl Selina is enjoyable to read on her own. Not tremendously so, but Nocenti is doing a better job here than she did on Green Arrow, and the art is tolerable as well. Three stars. I'm liking it. Batwoman, number 15, from DC, J.H. Williams III and W. Hayden Blackman writing, J.H. Williams III and Trevor McCarthy on the art. In contrast to Catwoman, Batwoman started with great expectations in the new DC universe, um, but has been something of a mess ever since. Williams' art has been pretty enough, but the stories have been muddled, overlong, and too artsy for their own good. This issue, written mainly by Blackman, though, is good stuff, focusing on Maggie Sawyer, a key and underutilized cast member for the title. It's a personal, if non-linear, story, and McCarthy's art is more realistic and grounded than Williams. It calls to mind Sawyer's Gotham Central Days, and that's a collection series I need to go back and reread, and makes for an enjoyable read. I'd like more like this on this title, please. Four stars, I liked it a lot. Batman Beyond Unlimited, number 11, from DC, Diverse Hands, Writing, and Art. I keep mentioning this title every few months because, really, this is telling some of the better stories going on in the DC universe. Except in this case, it's the DC animated universe. In the era of Batman Beyond, we have a Joker's story they couldn't show on TV, a story with Superman facing the consequences of actions in his youth, and Big Barda giving her biography, past, present, and to us, future. It's enjoyable, it's fun, and it's interesting. Three stars. I liked it. Some trade paperbacks. Birds of Prey, Volume 1, Trouble in Mind, from DC. Dwayne Swierzynski on the writing, Jesus Saiz on the art. Swierzynski's Birds of Prey has been one of the few bright spots of the New 52 to me. While retaining the all-girl Gotham crimebuster team concept, he still managed the universe reboot well, focusing on a more cryptic backgrounded Black Canary as team lead. New but greatly enjoyable Operative Starling, Crazy Martial Artist Katana, and Echo Terrorist Poison Ivy, with occasional visits by Batgirl. The action is hot, the mystery is deep, the issues of trust big, and this collection of the first seven issues is a very enjoyable read. Four stars. I liked it a lot. 
Fables, Volume 17, Inherit the Wind, from DC Vertigo, Bill Willingham on the art, Mark Buckingham on the pencils. With the death of the North Wind, Bigby Wolf and Snow White find that their children are the heirs to his throne, even as the other winds seek to dominate the next title holder. It's an interesting, amusing, but not terribly involving tale. There's also a fine short story compilation, In Those Days, and the excellent All-in-One-Night Christmas Story. Overall, a good bridge volume with scattered moments of brilliance. Four stars, I liked it a lot. From some other publishers, we have Lock and Key, Volume 1, Welcome to Lovecraft, from IDW. Joe Hill writing, Gabriel Rodriguez on the art. I read an individual issue of this a while back and just didn't get into it, but reading a collection from the start made my heart warm up to this story. On one level, it's a rather disturbing tale of a family ripped apart by a murderer, trying to recover, and finding that past catching up with them. But the key, so to speak, is where the family goes to. Key House, a New England mansion with doors that open up to strange places or strange states of being, each of which is opened with a different key. This series has won a lot of acclaim and fan loyalty, and is, I understand, actually coming to an end. So I look forward to reading more volumes of this in the future. Four stars. I liked it a lot. The Boys, Volume 12, The Bloody Doors Off, from Dynamite. Garth Ennis writing, Russ Brown and Derek Robertson on the art. Well, this is the last time I'll be talking about this title for a while, because this is the final collection of the end of the series, issues 66 through 72, as Ennis wraps up telling the tale of the anti-superhero troubleshooters, the boys, and what happens after they defeat the uprising by the corporate-created super-beings. It's violent, it's poignant, it's thoughtful, it's iconoclastic, it's weird, all of which you'd expect from Ennis. And unlike a lot of Ennis, it actually has a happy-ish and uplifting-ish ending. Terrific stuff for a terrific series. Four stars. I liked it a lot. Okay, some quickie reviews of some other books this past month. First, some two stars. Okay stuff. Secret Avengers number 35 and 36 from Marvel. Supergirl number 15 from DC. Three stars. I liked and wanted to keep reading this series. From Marvel, Astonishing X-Men number 57, Captain America and Black Widow number 640, the final issue, Captain America number 2, X-Factor number 249, Wolverine and the X-Men number 22, Captain Marvel number 8. From DC, Before Watchmen, Moloch number 2 of 2, Sword of Sorcery featuring Amethyst number 3, Thief of Thieves number 11 from Image, America's Got Powers number 4 of 6 from Image. Finally, some four-stars titles, uh, ones I liked a lot and would recommend to anyone to try. For Marvel, FF number two, Matt Fraction writing, Michael Allred art. Indestructible Hulk number two, Mark Wade writing, Lenil Yu pencils. Thor, God of Thunder number three, Jason Aaron writing, Asad Ribic pencils. All new X-Men number four, Brian Bendis writing, Stuart Immerman pencils. Daredevil number 21, Mark Wade writing, Chris Samney on the art. From DC, Birds of Prey number 15, Dwayne Swierzynski writing, uh, Juan Jose Rip pencils. Wonder Woman number 15, DC, Brian Azzarello writing, Cliff Chang art. Fables number 24 from DC Vertigo, Bill Willingham writing, Sean McManus art. Saga number 8 from Image, Brian K. Vaughn writing, Fiona Staples on the art. And Rachel Rising number 13 from Image, Terry Moore writing and art. And finally, some named reviews. Best cover of the month goes to Hawkeye number 6 from Marvel, Matt Fraction writing, David Aha on the art. Six Days in the Life, 
It was a fun, imaginative, nicely drawn Fraction and AHA continuing to hit it out of the park with this series. While there's plenty of action, it's much more about Clint Barton as a character, as he deals with the holiday season as well as his abilities and limits as just a normal guy who shoots the bow and arrow. Uh, five stars for the issue and for the cover. AHA's been doing a great job with some very artsy, classy types of covers here, and, and I admire his work on it very much. The best collection of the month that I read, North 40 from DC Wildstorm, Aaron Williams writing, Fiona Staples on the art, a small town horror tale from PS238's writer and Saga's fan favorite artist, should be a hoot, and it is and then some. Two denizens of a small town find a book to unleash Cthulhu, or a conveniently similar elder one, and overnight most of the town is turned into creatures of horror, with a few very deliberately singled out to be protectors of the rest, many of whom still get eaten. It's not for the faint of heart, but it is handled in a wry fashion, rarely mean-spirited, but not pulling any punches, and with lots of mystery behind the scenes to keep the pages turning. Very sadly, this little-known 2009 six-issue series was never continued after the first arc, but it's definitely worth picking up. Five stars. It was amazing. My least favorite graphic novel of the month, Fables, Werewolves of the Heartland, from DC Vertigo, Bill Willingham on the art, Jim Fern and Craig Hamilton on the pencils. I, <coughs> excuse me, I am perhaps overly fond of Bill Willingham's fable stories, so the prospect of an original graphic novel focusing on Bigby Wolf and a werewolf-filled Midwestern town sounded like a serious winner for the Christmas list. It was not. It's almost impossible to get past the art here, which is laid out in a barely competent fashion and then inked inconsistently by four artists. It ranges from the just tolerable to the darned ugly. That might almost be worth it for a rip-snorting tale, but Willingham's story is clumsy, dull, and mainly a chance for him to demonstrate how badass Bigby is, which we already knew and from much better examples. Deeply, deeply disappointing. Do not pay for the hardcover. Do not pay for the trade paperback. I'll be keeping it on the shelf only because I want it for completion's sake and because I don't want to inflict it on others. One star I did not like. And then the best and worst individual title of the month, or a couple issues thereof. Avengers Arena, numbers one through two. Marvel, Dennis Hopeless writing, a Kev Walker art. Worst things. This is a great, awful comic. It's great because the writing is taut, the drama is high, the love of characters is manifest, the artwork is crisp and expressive, and it's awful because all of those things are being put to such a terrible purpose. In this case, it's taking 16 of the neophyte superheroes around in the Marvel Universe, from Avengers Academy, The Runaways, a few at loose ends, and a few created for the title, and setting them down in a Hunger Games Battle Royale ripoff, orchestrated by Arcade, now with new godlike powers, and starting to kill them off. If it were less well done, it would simply be seen as a cheap, obnoxious scheme to attract Hunger Games fans, but Hopeless, what an apropos name, does a lot to make us actually care for these characters, and promises each death will be meaningful. And he's already done away with at least one established figure. My question is, does Marvel really have enough young folk, especially, especially supposedly the next generation of heroes, though, let's face it, Marvel will never have the stones to get rid of the current generation of heroes, to simply kill them off? What a waste! 
If these are good characters, and some slash most of them we already know are, and characters that can be made better in development at Hopeless's hands, which seems quite possible, I'd much rather see good stories of them ongoing rather than watch them marching toward their doom. But it's going to be difficult not to watch it, because it really looks like it's going to be a well-done series, if to a very disagreeable end. Four stars. I liked it and hated it a lot. So, a summary of the best of the best. Starting with some four stars, I liked them a lot. Avengers number one through two, Avengers Arena number one through two, Avengers Assemble number ten, Batwoman number fifteen, Birds of Prey volume one, Birds of Prey number fifteen, The Boys volume twelve, Daredevil number twenty-one, Fables volume seventeen, Fables number one twenty-four, FF number two, Indestructible Hulk number two, Rachel Rising number thirteen, Thor God of Thunder number three, The Twelve volume one through two, Saga number eight, all new X-Men number four, Wonder Woman number 15, X-Factor volume 17. And a couple of five stars books, Hawkeye issue number six, and North 40 volume one. One more sad note before I sign off, one of my favorite comic book authors, and SF and fantasy authors as well, Peter David, suffered a major stroke on New Year's Eve. David is the author of one of the best Incredible Hulk runs ever, had a great run on Supergirl before DC decided to reboot the character another few times, and has been shepherding X-Factor through thick and thin for several years. He and his family are doing as well as can be expected, but insurance deductions and hotel stays being what they are, they can use some help. Uh, last time I checked, there was no direct donation mechanism available at the moment, but his wife Kathleen has suggested that anything you buy from him especially books through the Crazy 8 Publishing Company, available on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble, and his Marvel trade paperback collections, will do the most uh, help the soonest. It's a great way to support an excellent creator and benefit from doing so with some great creations. You can also learn more about what's going on with Peter at peterdavid.net. And that, as they say, is that. The next episode should be February 9th, since I'll be out of town traveling the week before that. Thank you so much for listening to this Dave Does the Comics podcast. On my homepage, which you can find through the wonders of Google, you can see all the lovely covers for these lovely comic books and leave comments on the podcast. I can be reached there or tweeted at 3 underscore star underscore Dave. You can also find my trade paperback and graphic novel reviews at goodreads.com, the Dave Hill who's in Englewood, Colorado. I welcome your feedback, especially your suggestions for what books I should try. I hope you've enjoyed this 22 minutes out of your life. Thanks once again, and as Stan Lee, who just turned 90 years old, is so apparently fond of saying, Happy New Year! Happy New Year!